it feels like we've been off forever, but it's only been a couple of weeks. Nevertheless, Formula One returning on Sunday. They'll be racing under the lights through the streets of Marina Bay for the Singapore Grand Prix, the first running of that race since 2019. It's the Overtake F1 podcast. We're going to go over the five things to watch for this weekend at Singapore. We're going to go over the track, have our top five, bottom five from the Italian Grand Prix, which feels like ages ago. Uh, it's also We're also going to go over some of the news and notes around Formula One in the number of weeks that we've had off, including driver movement, the new edition of sprint races in 2023, and a couple of more things. First, subscribe to the podcast. If you've been following us and liking what you've been hearing, please give us a five-star review, because if you like what we do, we'd love to hear about it, and it will does help us with the algorithms and promotion of the podcast. But if you're brand new, thank you for downloading and giving us a chance. I'm Tony Desiri. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. Thanks for giving us a try. We try to keep things pretty tight on this podcast, and we try to give you the news and notes of the upcoming Grand Prix. We also have reviews of the races as well, so you want to check those out. All right, so Max Verstappen has just been dominating the Formula One season and making this year not one of the more exciting ones, but he has a chance to make this one of the more memorable seasons because of his dominance. It's an aspect of the sport that does drive people crazy, though. We've seen dominating seasons in Formula One before. Recently, Lewis Hamilton in 2019, 2020, 2018, and take your pick. Sebastian Vettel in 2013 when he won 13 of 19 races. So this run that Verstappen is on is not only not new in the sport of Formula One, it's not even recent, but it is going to go down as one of the best. The season did start, though, with some real promise of a Red Bull-Ferrari battle, and unfortunately, that just didn't really pan out, and that's sort of disappointing for those of us who wanted to see a fight between two teams, two drivers in particular, but after a few weeks off since Monza, it is now hot time to head to the stretch run. Singapore, Japan, Austin in the United States, Mexico, Brazil, and then, of course, Abu Dhabi, and that's it. Now, six more races on to the 2021 season, but we are going to Singapore for the first time in a while, but here are the five things that you want to watch for coming up this weekend for the Singapore Grand Prix. And number one, it's the return of Marina Bay. Now, if you're new to Formula One, welcome to the sport, by the way. I am one of those people that will welcome you in with open arms. I am not one of these old-time Formula One fans that says, oh, please, you're all just drive-to-survive people. I remember when I was younger, there were a lot of people that liked the Grateful Dead, but they really didn't like the Grateful Dead. They just liked Touch of Grey, and they were called Greyheads or whatever it was because just they liked that particular song that was popular in the late 80s. So the Grateful Dead fans never embraced them. I'm not going to be one of those people. I, I welcome you into the sport, whether you did join us because of Drive to Survive or you've just joined us because your friends are into it and you're into it too. If you're brand new, welcome to this podcast. So if you are new to Formula One, Welcome to Singapore. It's been a while since we raced at Marina Bay, 2019 to be exact. Sebastian Vettel won the last Singapore Grand Prix. That was for Ferrari. Charles Leclerc in that race finishing second. Max Verstappen finished third. Look, it's one of the more challenging circuits on the calendar. It is going to be hot. It is going to be humid. And it, even under the, under the lights, it's going to be all of that. The race is long. Driver fatigue is real. The safety car comes out all the time. At some point in this race, the safety car is going to come out. It's almost guaranteed. It always does there. And there are a lot of things going on that will come into play this weekend. But nevertheless, Singapore is beautiful under the lights. It's maybe not my favorite circuit on the calendar, but it's a real, real spectacular looking race. Uh, they do a fantastic job in sort of the aesthetics of the, of the sport. It is a bumpy circuit, 
But the drivers seem to have liked it over the years. They have complained at various things about it. But I think overall, the experience of Singapore is not lost on all, a, a lot of people. Again, it's not going to be listed as one of people's favorite tracks. Like you get a you know, Silverstone or Spa or Monza. But it is one of the races that does look good on TV. That's for sure. So the return of Marina Bay. For some of you, this is the first time you're watching the Singapore Grand Prix. For those of us who have watched the sport for a long time, it's, it's, a, it's a long time coming. Um, it's... It, it's also got its share of controversy. This has got a kind of a interesting history in this Grand Prix. So we'll get to some of that coming up in track talk, but right off the bat, one of the top things to watch for is the return of the Singapore Grand Prix. The second, of course, is Max Verstappen, because there are a number of ways that Max could leave Singapore as the world champion. Win and get the fastest lap. Charles Leclerc finishes ninth or worst. There's a whole bunch of scenarios. Now, the thing is, though, we know he's going to win the championship. The question is going to be where. If it's not going to be at Singapore, what will it be in Japan? If it's not Japan, will it come a couple of weeks later at the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin? But there are scenarios in place, and there's a variety variety of different ones. If Max finishes a certain place and Charles Leclerc finishes a certain place, Sergio Perez is in the mix as well. Fastest lap, not fastest lap. There's a number of different combinations. I'd urge you to check it out. But again, one of the things to watch for coming up this weekend is the potential of seeing Max Verstappen in whatever place he finishes, possibly being the world champion again. But we also know it's going to take place at some point. Uh, the number three thing to watch for this weekend is the driver market rumors. Now, later in this podcast, we're going to talk about some of the openings that are now going to be unavailable uh, to the 2023 grid. Some of the drivers have now signed to remain with their teams. We'll get to all of that coming up. But this is something that is not going to disappear. This is going to be one of those aspects where we go into the weekend. The international press is going to be asking some questions, discussing the possibility of who's going to be in what role. We know about the departure of Nicholas Latifi. He will not be in the Williams seat. Alpine is going to be looking for a driver. I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios that are still in play here. Who's going to be going where? Who's going to be promoted up? What about super license points? All of those things, they're all on the table for rumors and discussions like sports tends to do. It doesn't matter what sport you follow. When you are talking about trade rumors in Major League Baseball, driver seats available in Formula One, whenever you get the press together and everybody starts buzzing, you're going to start hearing some leaks. You're going to hear stuff, rumors, innuendos. All of that's in play this weekend at the Singapore Grand Prix. It doesn't even matter where they'll go. It'll happen in Japan too. Once these things have finds their way to sorting it out, you're going to have a lot of people doing the speculation game. All right, let's get to the actual cars. One of the other things to watch for is Mercedes. Now, I'm going to focus on this team in particular. We've done a lot of things about Alpine versus McLaren. I mean, heck, Haas is also fighting against uh, AlphaTauri for points and whatnot. But right now, for this particular Grand Prix, I'm going to concentrate on Mercedes a bit. It does look like things are starting to come together for this team. And I made a prediction not that long ago, kind of when we saw that they were struggling at the beginning of the season. I said, look, I still think Mercedes is going to win a Grand Prix in 2022. I don't know where and I don't know what circumstances are going to allow it. Uh, whether, you know, Max has a DNF, Leclerc has a DNF, maybe they tangle and they both knock themselves out or whatever it is. But Somehow, some way, Lewis Hamilton or George Russell is going to cross that finish line first, and Mercedes is going to get a victory this season. I'm six races away from getting shut out on this prediction. But that being said, Mike Elliott, the team's technical director, said the team has two goals in the final six. They want to win a race and also beat Ferrari in the standings for P2 and the constructors. They're only 35 points behind after 16 races. Russell and Hamilton have 13 podiums between them, 
But does that mean Singapore could provide a boost to those goals? Now, the car doesn't have the pace of Ferrari or Red Bull. We kind of saw that at Monza, but that's a completely different setup. There's 23 slow corners here, and that's where the Silver Arrows could potentially be strong. Strong enough to beat Red Bull? I don't know. But again, this is a really, really, really tricky race. And if certain things go right, I do expect them to be around towards the end, taking advantage of an opportunity if the door is open. Uh, George Russell sort of disagrees with that sentiment. He doesn't think that this race in particular is going to be where Mercedes is strong. He kind of looks at Mexico, maybe even Austin, as where they could potentially get a win. But I'm really interested in this particular Grand Prix and the way the Mercedes car has been riding this season. I, I, I think that when you talk about a course that has got these, these turns, constant turns, 23 turns, um, I think Mercedes can do well here, really well. And again, put them in a fight and a position towards the end with, where if there's an opportunity, if something should happen to a Verstappen or a Leclerc up front, I think they're going to, that, that they'll be right there in the thick of it. And they might even have a better car than Ferrari for this particular race. We'll see. But Mercedes, I'm definitely keeping an eye out for them in this particular Grand Prix. All right. And the fifth thing to watch out for, I've kind of combined these two weather and qualifying. I may have cheated here a bit, putting two and one, but it looks like there's going to be rain coming to Singapore this weekend. Lots and lots of rain. This is a pretty exciting race if you've never watched it report before because a lot happens when it's dry. I mean, I'm the weatherman, so I only go with what I see in the forecast. That can change anywhere uh, in the world, but Singapore, it could be raining in one part of the, t- of the, of the area, not another part of the area. Um, but if rain comes, it does change everything. We could see something really, really wild this weekend at Marina Bay. We could see Lance Stroll finishing while well, he's good in the rain. So is Max. So is Hamilton. So are a number of drivers on the grid. We could also see chaos in the wet. If you remember Hungary last year, where half the field was like taken out on the opening turn that led to a win for Esteban Ocon, but qualifying is also expected to be run in the rain that will be extremely important overtaking is not very easy to do at singapore this circuit it's kind of hard to pass but nevertheless qualifying is going to be equally important as well so look for rain to be a factor how it sets the grid on saturday and if there's rain on sunday especially you know is the race starts you could see some really 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 wild stuff so those are the five things to watch for for the singapore grand prix it makes its return to the calendar for the first time since 2019 So let's get to track talk and let's talk about Marina Bay. It's one of the more demanding circuits. I'll be honest, as I said earlier, it's not one of my favorites. I think it does lack a charm or a characteristic that really kind of stands out. People may point to the Singapore sling back in the day, like when an early part of, uh, of this race, um, like in 2008, 2009, but that, that, that area is gone out of turn 10. I think one of the reasons though, that I do like the Grand Prix, not necessarily the circuit, but the Grand Prix itself is sort of a combination of a lot of other things, the heat and the humidity, the length, it runs nearly two hours. That's little off than the hour and a half that they try to get these races in. The corners are, again, 23 of them. There's a lot. They're all slow. The lights, I always like night races. I think the cars look brilliant under the lights. But all of those play into the challenge of the Grand Prix weekend. The track is very bumpy. However, they did resurface it. So we'll see what happens in that regard. Pirelli is going to be bringing the softest compound tires that they have. C3 for the hards, C4 for the mediums, and C5 for the softs. What's interesting is that what they're saying is, look, is a new tire, 18 inches, new compound for the Pirelli tires. 
a lot of lot has changed since 2019. The surface has been redone. It is still a street circuit, so it's still a road where drivers drive on it regularly to and from various places in Singapore. So there's manhole covers. There's all sorts of little nooks and things that happen in a street circuit. Um, all the corners, again, 23 of them are slow. The race will be 61 laps. It runs over five kilometers. There are, again, Marina Bay has three DRS zones. The first one is coming out of turn five, heading into a high speed stretch. It sort of bends to the right a little bit. The second is going to be coming out of turn 13. It's sort of a straight shot to a sharp right hand turn at turn 14. And then the final DRS zone is coming out of 20, turn 23, the final one that goes down the front stretch leading into turn number one. So those are the three DRS zones that you'll find at Marina Bay. The Singapore Grand Prix was first run in 2008, at least around this particular circuit it had been run in the 60s and 70s at another location but what you're seeing this weekend was first run in 2008 that was won by fernando alonso but it's probably one of the more controversial finishes in motorsports history fernando uh was alonso was driving for renault at the time and controversy Alonso was driving for Renault at the time, and the controversy centered around his teammate, Nelson Piquet, who crashed, bringing out a safety car, which helped Alonso. And then Piquet later admitted that he was ordered by the team to do exactly that, and that resulted in an investigation. If you really want to dive deep into that race and um, what many consider the sport's darkest moment, uh, check out a guy by the name of Cranky Yankee. Probably some of you are already familiar with his work. If you're not, check it out. He's on YouTube. He does a great video on this controversy. If you want to really know the ins and outs of what happened at this race, and it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. He does a really good job of explaining a lot of the details. Uh, it would take me 20 minutes to go over every single little thing from the investigation, whom admitted what, and Renault's reaction to that investigation that happened in 2009. So there's a whole bunch of things that he really, really covers well. Again, Cranky Yankee on YouTube. Some of you already probably know his work. He's got 120,000 subscribers, so most of you probably know who I'm talking about. But I I remember being on a motorsport show not that long ago. Uh, we were kind of doing a round table. We were talking about some different things in NASCAR and whatnot. And we were talking about some of the controversial finishes um, in motorsports. And mostly it's about like what a driver did and, you know, he maybe crashed into a guy or whatever. And I brought this one up at the round table and no one knew what I was talking about. So I had to explain the uh, 2008 Singapore Grand Prix and, they were like, oh, I never heard of that. I said, well, if you follow Formula One, it's actually really famous, but it, it involves a whole level of cheating and, and whatnot. And uh, it, it made for a fascinating discussion. But nevertheless, it was it's it's it was on my list of more controversial finishes in motorsports. All right. So let's get to the top five, bottom five from the Italian Grand Prix. Just a reminder, we were supposed to race in Russia this year. That's one of the reasons for the long layoff. They were supposed to go to Sochi before they were going to Singapore. But of course, that race got canceled just before the season started because of the invasion of Russia into the Ukraine. And so they canceled the Russian Grand Prix and then they decided not to replace it with anything and just left it blank on the calendar. So we've had a long time between Monza and Singapore coming up this weekend. So just a refresher from the Italian Grand Prix. Here's the bottom five. We're going to start with number five, Charles Leclerc. He finished second. What's wrong with that? Nothing really, except when you lose, you know, when you lose to Max, there's nothing, no shame in that. Max is beating everybody. It's no problem. But Leclerc started from pole position and even tried a strategy where he knew he didn't have the pace. They went with a two-stop strategy when he had the lead. It was all for naught anyway because the race finished under yellow. But when he had the fresher tires, 
then he was looking at the gap between him and Verstappen of about 19 seconds. He couldn't close that gap. In fact, he never closed that gap. In fact, it got worse at one point. He just didn't have the pace of the car. He could not do what the strategy wanted him to do, which is get on the fresher tires, close the gap, maybe force Max later in the race to take on fresher tires, and maybe you can hold him off. But Max didn't need to do that again. It finished under yellow. But even then, there was nothing coming from Leclerc to even signal a fight from Ferrari in this Grand Prix. Disappointing. P2 is great, but it was it was still disappointing. Number four, Daniel Ricciardo. This one makes me kind of sad because a year ago he was the winner at Monza. Remember, he said, I never left. Remember, he gave that little sort of nice little sentiment while he was driving around. But the defending champ had a really bad day. He was dealing with the news that Oscar Piastri was going to take over his seat for next season. And then, of course, his car failed and that brought out the safety car and that would define the finish of this race. They couldn't get his car removed. So the race ended under yellow. I give Ricardo a lot of credit, though. He handled this all as well as you could, because think about where he was just a year ago, celebrating on the podium, giving McLaren this big win, feeling like he was back, that he really did never leave. And a year later, he's not in Formula One as of right now for 2023. That's obviously could change. He's not with McLaren anymore. His seat has been filled. It has not been a good run since he joined that team, except for this one moment one year ago at Monza. Daniel Ricciardo is in the bottom five for the 2022 Italian Grand Prix. Number three, Aston Martin. Really, really bad day for Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. First, Vettel had to retire on the track. And then the team decided, well, that's enough. Stroll, you're coming in as well. And they both ended up retiring from the race. Neither car had good pace anyway. But for Vettel, it's kind of bittersweet because he's been running on these final races uh, to end his career. And he's going to tracks that he's won on. And he'd like to finish somewhat respectable, right? He's won at Monza a number of times, and this was just a bad way to leave the Temple of Speed. It's going to be at Singapore. He's won there too, so we'll see what this weekend can bring for the retirement tour of Sebastian Vettel, but the Italian Grand Prix was not one of them for the team. Aston Martin is number three. Number two, the yellow flag. Now, if you're new to this podcast, top five, bottom five can be anything. It can be driver. It can be team principal. It can be circumstances. It can be anything. If it, if it had some sort of effect on the weekend, you could find it in top five, bottom five. So I leave myself pretty much open for that. And the yellow flag is number two on the list. It's not the way you want to end a race under yellow, but that's the rule. And it was followed by the letter of the rule book. Now, would it have been great to see Verstappen try to hold off a last lap charge from Leclerc? Sure. Even though I don't think the race would have ended any differently, but it still would have at least been a show. At least it would have ended under green. It would have ended racing cars. Instead, the yellow flag just had them kind of drive around until they went, that's it. It's over. So the Italian Grand Prix does not end under green. But it's not necessarily in the bottom five because of that. It's in the bottom five because that yellow flag and the way that race ended opened an old wound, which is what happened last year at Abu Dhabi. Toto Wolff had to comment on it. So did Lewis Hamilton. Sort of reminded people of how the race, that race should have ended in the season finale, but didn't. And all of a sudden you saw Twitter sort of explode with this notion that Michael Massey took it upon himself to do give the people a show, even if it cost Lewis Hamilton the championship that should have been his if the rule had been followed strictly by the book. 
like the Italian Grand Prix did. So the yellow flag and the way that race ended opened up the conversation again. And I think if you're the FIA and Formula One, I don't think you want that conversation opened up again. I just think you kind of wish it would go away. It's not going to go away. It's definitely going down as one of the more historical, controversial race finishes that we've ever had in Formula One. But at the end of the day, whenever you remind people of that, and next thing you know, the conversation is about that months and months later because something reminded them of it. That's why the yellow flag is in the bottom five. And number one, Nicholas Latifi. This has nothing to do with his 15th place finish. He always finishes around this spot, right? It has everything to do with Nick DeVries. He filled in for Alex Albon. Latifi was nowhere near the pace of Nick DeVries in his first Formula One race. It was a clear shot that he is just not Formula One material. We've known that. We've heard about it. We've talked about it. We, I think everybody around the world has had a favorite Latifi moment. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more coming up because, believe it or not, he does have a legacy. I'll tell you what that is coming up later in the podcast because I know many of you are like, legacy? What are you talking about? But he kind of does. We'll talk about that in a bit. Nevertheless, Latifi's finish at 15 compared to what Nick DeVries finishing in the points was just a clear, that's it. You're out. This is a new ownership group. They don't need your dad's money anymore. And you're not good enough. We want to be competitive. And you're not competitive. And we just put somebody in the car for a first time and they got us points. So... So Nicholas Latifi will not be around in 2023. I'll miss him because he was a, he was fun to pick on, but I don't want to I don't want to pick on a driver at the, for the sake of the sport. Top five of the Italian Grand Prix. Let's start with number five, Lewis Hamilton. He went from 19th to fifth. It allowed Mercedes to have both cars finishing in the top five. They didn't gain any points in their race with Ferrari for P2 and the constructors, but it certainly helped not to fall back too much as they head into the final six races of the season. And remember, the start of the Italian Grand Prix, there were grid penalties everywhere. In fact, after qualifying, sorting it all out took forever. Remember, we didn't get an official grid for hours after qualifying was over because they were still sorting out who goes where with engine upgrades and penalties and who gets a back of the grid and who gets five places and all of those kind of things. But Hamilton was P19 at the start, made a P5 appearance, and that was good for him. Carlos Sainz, same thing. He finished fourth. He was just off the podium. He started 18th. Like Hamilton, he was able to dice through the field, make up a couple of spots, put his car in position to help Ferrari in their race in the constructors with Mercedes. He also said after the race that he's developing a lot more confidence in the car. That should be good for Singapore this weekend and maybe even beyond. Maybe he gets race win number two at some point in the final six. Number three, Max Verstappen. He should be number one, but I put him at three because you know what? He's just winning all the races now. It was a yellow flag finish. Not his fault. Who cares? He wins again. Dominating pace. No one was going to catch him and pass him. Leclerc had to use the two-stop strategy, as I said before, to try to get on better tires than Max at the end, but it didn't work. The safety car kind of nullified that strategy anyway, but it was another dominating win for Red Bull and Max Verstappen, another checkered flag finish. All right, number two. Monza, and more importantly, the Tifosi. They're going to get in the top five because they came out in full force for the first time since 2019. Remember that run in 2020 where it was empty and it was so bad. And then like had like people could come like 60% or something could come in 2021. All right. So they didn't get to see a green flag finish and they didn't get to see a Ferrari win, 
but they did see Leclerc on the podium. They got to see him start from pole position. It's a great sight to see for them. That podium at the Temple of Speed, the famous, it's famous for a reason because you get that ocean underneath you of red. It's one of the best pictures in motorsports and especially great when there's a Ferrari driver holding the victor's trophy. It's fantastic. So the, the Tifosi was out in force and that's a great sight to see. Even whether you root for Ferrari or not, you know their importance in the sport. You know how important they are just for Ferrari and their importance. It's, it's just magnificent. But the number one in the top five, and this is why Max Verstappen isn't here, because it goes to Nick DeVries, driver of the day. His first Formula One race, and he lands in the points. He didn't have a foot wrong, except like they did tell him about moving back and forth to warm up the tires. But nevertheless, it was a magnificent drive for Nick DeVries. He showed what Williams should be doing with Latifi's car. Alex Albon is secure, and now Latifi's seat is open. But at least Williams, it may not be Nick DeVries, it may Maybe Nick DeVries. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. What it showed was if Williams is is done just collecting checks from somebody's father and family and putting a real driver in that car to be competitive, that's what they need to do. And that's what it did. It opened up kind of the thought process that get somebody else in Latifi's car. That's why Nicholas Latifi is not going to be on the grid for next season. All right, so let's get to some quick news and notes around the sport of Formula One. We've had a long layoff since our last podcast at the end of the Italian Grand Prix, so we've got a lot to get to. Let's start with sprint races. Uh, if you don't like sprint races, too bad, because there's going to be six of them coming next year and beyond. Right now, they're doing three. Uh, the year before, when they started this, they did three. They're doubling that for next season. Um, I've done many segments on this uh, topic. I don't like them. I'm not a huge fan of them. I understand why they do them, but I don't hate them either. I'm starting to warm up to them a little bit. I really didn't like them at the very beginning. I thought they were really, really gimmicky, but now I kind of understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to add value to the tickets that there's being that are being sold. Tickets to Formula One races are very expensive. And so you want to sort of add some value to some of the locations and give some fans on Saturday something other than traditional qualifying. I like traditional qualifying. I think it's the the best qualifying format in all the motorsports. I've been through a lot of NASCAR events where it's kind of boring, just seeing cars kind of go around a track and they're just timed, but this is kind of exciting. And I think to add a sprint race, um, to sort of spice up qualifying wasn't really necessary, but now that you've opened up the can of worms, expansion was inevitable. They're really adding some value to the race weekend, but they like it. They seem to think fans like it. I might be the only one who thinks it's too many. I do have an idea. I, I, I thought, you could keep the sprint races, maybe do four and then sort of like rotate them. So you can have 24 races. Hear me out on this. You're gonna have 24 races on the calendar and you do four. So every race, once every six years, they get a sprint race. Uh, is that uh, might be too much of a distance between the two? I don't know, but it just seems like six is a lot because I just feel like six is going to turn into eight and it's going to turn into 10. And then the next thing you know, that's the way we're going to be doing Grand Prix qualifying is running one third races it just it's going to take the sizzle out of the out of the weekend for sure. and then that we're all going to get excited about qualifying and all it is is going to be to set the grid for the sprint race i don't know the other bit of news and we've touched on it in the podcast is nicholas latifi is out at williams i'm not going to go over the details very much uh, because we all know that in the end this was inevitable williams was bought by derilliton capital from the williams family of course and their their goal is to be competitive 
They're not, their goal isn't to just make enough money to survive. That's kind of what Williams was doing towards the end, right? Try to stay afloat. So you take on pay drivers. That's just the way the business was. I mean, you can, you can do the pay driver argument forever, but it doesn't nullify the basic fact that money is desperately needed in this sport. It's needed. And you can do it two ways. You can win championships and constructor titles and finish high up in the constructors list, or you can get pay drivers. Take your pick. And that's just the way it was. Latifi was a pay driver. And now Williams is in a corporate position not to necessarily need that. They want to be competitive. They want to be fighting in the mid, in the mid pack and they want to get some victories, you know, with this cost cutting and and rules that are in place, they want to be competitive in order to do that. You got to get rid of the dead weight. And Nicholas Latifi was dead weight. Now I talked about this earlier that Nicholas Latifi does have a legacy a lot of people like to make fun of him, you know, and whatnot, and, and, you know, spinning when nobody's around or whatever like that. But the, nevertheless, you are not going to be able to talk about the 2021 season without Nicholas Latifi. When you tell the story about how Max Verstappen won his world championship, you have to talk about Nicholas Latifi. It was his accident that brought out the yellow flag at Abu Dhabi. It was his accident that set the stage for Michael Massey's decision. And I know he got death threats, which is terrible, and no one should ever send one like that. It's just too passionate. But the reality of it is, that is his legacy, is that he is part of the story of one of the more controversial finishes in all of sports. I mean, I've never seen a Super Bowl where the rules were changed in a Super Bowl. I've never seen a World Series where they changed the rule of baseball in the Game 7 of a World Series. But I saw in a Formula One championship won because one guy made a decision that he felt like he could have made based on the vagueness of the rules and then helped another driver win the championship. Whether you're a Hamilton fan or a Verstappen fan, that's what happened. And it happened because Nicholas Latifi is a terrible driver. So, all right, some other news and notes. Zhou Guan Yu is staying at Alfa Romeo. This is well-deserved. His rookie season had some misfires like you would expect, but it also had some pretty good moments, too. He got points in his first ever run. That's not rare, but it's cool to see. He also had that unbelievable flip at Silverstone where Howie was still alive, thanks to the halo, I guess. But that was incredible how he survived that. But Joe Guan Yu is staying at Alfa Romeo. It's it, it's it is well deserved. Yuki Sonoda is staying with Alphatari. Eh, if he if he wasn't staying, I wouldn't be outraged. Let's just put it that way. All right, I wouldn't be outraged. But those two drivers are staying with their teams. All right, a couple of other news and notes on the calendar for 2023 and beyond. We'll start with the Monaco Grand Prix that's going to be sticking around at least through 2025. The contract with Formula One has been renewed. I know a number of you would like to see it off the calendar and replaced with something else. I don't know what that something else would be. I am on the record as saying, I just don't think no matter how boring the race is, how hard it's over to take, how maybe modern formula one cars are sort of outgrown the street circuit in Monte Carlo. The reality of it is I think this is a very, very important race for the sport. I said many times in the United States, there's only a handful of Grand Prix that are on network television. Here in the U.S., you can find the Formula One races on cable on ESPN. Only a handful of races are broadcast on ABC, one of the major networks here in the United States. Miami Grand Prix is one of them. The U.S. Grand Prix is one of them. I think the Canadian Grand Prix was on ABC. But the Monte Carlo Grand Prix is on ABC. It's on tape delay, so people can watch it in the afternoon. 
And it's a very, very important race. It's kind of symbolic that Monaco, Monte Carlo and Formula One go hand in hand. I've asked this to other Formula One friends of mine who say, oh, it's outdated. Could you really see the sport without going to Monaco? I know some of you say, yes, of course. But the reality of it is, be honest, can we just put up with one weekend where the glitz, the glamour, sort of the tradition of the sport in that city just come alive and then we just put up with one boring race and then move on to more exciting races. I think, I think we can, uh, the Las Vegas race in 2023 is going to be raced on a Saturday night. I think many of us knew that, uh, because that's the best time for Las Vegas to showcase what Las Vegas is. Uh, when they used to run back in the eighties at the Caesars car park, it was done during the day and you didn't get to see Las Vegas. This particular Grand Prix is going to be raced on the strip at night where the lights are bright and what Vegas is, is what Vegas is going to show at sort of the point of having a race on the strip um, at nighttime to showcase the lights. And I think it's going to be fantastic. I don't know if the racing is going to be good. I think the track is really fast. I've had some discussions. I used to live in Las Vegas, so I'm connected with some of the still some of the uh, sports entities, uh, the people out there that are going to be covering this and kind of putting it together. And I've been sort of watching the the track and sort of the, what what they're trying to build and what they're trying to do. It's going to be definitely a fast race. I just don't know if the quality of racing will be there yet. We'll see as we get closer to and closer to next November. But as a former resident of the city, I went out there to cover its um, NASCAR birth when it opened up the Las Vegas Motor Speedway in the late 90s. I think the, sh- the city is going to put on a great show. I think it's going to be all the festivities leading up to the race are going to be great. I think it's going to do a great job. It is becoming a major sports city. It wasn't when I lived there. It didn't have any professional teams. It had UNLV basketball, and that was pretty much it and a couple of other minor leagues. But when the Speedway came, it sort of opened the door in the conversation to uh, NHL hockey team later down the road, an NFL team. There's talking about an NBA possible expansion there. But a Formula One race in Las Vegas, I think is going to be electric. And for those of you who listen to this podcast in England, get up early for it. You'll love it. You'll love it. And if you're living in New York or in the East Coast, 1 a.m., stay up for it. I love staying up for Formula One races. I'll tell you, I love it. I, I That's one of my favorite nights when it's like midnight and they're in Japan or Australia. That's one of my favorites. I get up at 4 a.m. for it, or I get up at 6 a.m. for it, but I love the late night ones. So enjoy it next November. It's going to be Saturday night, and it's going to look spectacular. All right, so that'll do it for us here on the Overtake F1 podcast. Enjoy the Singapore Grand Prix. We'll be back next week to review it all and tell you what we liked and what we didn't like of the race weekend. Once again, if you like what we're doing, leave us a five-star review. It does help us grow the podcast. And also, if you need to reach me or want to contact me, you can find me on Twitter at Tony D Radio. You can also like our Facebook page, the Overtake F1 podcast, and we hope you do that as well. All right, see you next week for our review of the Singapore Grand Prix. I'm Tony Desiree, and this is the Overtake F1 podcast.